0: Before I get started, let's pray, Father God, I just thank you for your presence, Lord. Um, I thank you that there's not just one way to worship you. There's, there's no one way that you, you are so infinite and you're mighty and vast. There's so many ways to connect with you, through song, through your word, through just walks, through there's just so many ways. And I thank you for that, Lord. I pray that with each of us, you'll help us to explore all of them, that we will experience you in so many different ways, your presence, Lord. There's nothing like that that quickening of the Holy Spirit that just zaps you in the heart and spreads all through your body, Lord. It's It's the one thing, Lord, that makes you the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord. We get started and we get tired, but you constantly bring to our minds refreshing and and you just fill us with your Holy Spirit, and there's nothing like that, Lord. It's literally the greatest thing that this life has to offer when your presence, your true, pure presence, Lord, comes upon us. And and Lord, as I transition into this sermon, Lord, I pray that it speaks to our hearts. Uh, I pray that you'll allow me to to speak it as you gave it to me, Lord, and that I'll get out of the way, and that you will uh, you'll take over, Lord. So. As always, Lord, I do ask that you open our eyes so we can truly see. Maybe something in this story we've never seen before. Our ears so we can hear it in a way we've never heard before. Our minds so we can comprehend it and know exactly how to apply it in our lives. Um, And Lord, open up our hearts so we may fall completely crazy in love with you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. The way of the mighty. Okay, so... um, what I kind of want to do is, is contrast, you know, the way the mighty men, mighty people of God um, live uh, and those who, who don't live for him completely. So the first verse I want to come to, and this is where uh, the, the foundation for every time I say mighty man or every time I talk about the mighty, this is where this comes from. For behold, the Lord... The Lord of hosts, just in case, you know, if you don't know who the Lord is, the Lord of hosts, the angel army, um, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff. Now, what he's talking about here is when a nation is under judgment, okay? When, When God is about to allow a nation to be taken over because of their sin, because of their way of living, because of their idolatry, because of... You know, because of whatever. He says, this is what happens. This is what it looks like when a nation is under judgment. And Jerusalem and Judah are under judgment at this time. And um, so what happens is that the stay and the staff are taken away. The stay is your supply. The staff is is like your support. So, uh, you know, whereas, you know, you, you look at our nation just in the past 30 years, you know, we went from the supply... Being supplied by us, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, you looked in the tags of whatever. What did it say? Made in the USA, baby. Walmart was like so proud of that, you know, made in the USA, and you saw all that kind of stuff. And now we don't make it anymore. We're not the suppliers anymore. And 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 to me, that is a just a beginning sign of judgment and and the support. And the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water, food and things like water that we've always taken for granted begin to diminish and you start looking in the news at these water crises and there's... Uh, there's segments of our population struggling with, with just clean water, something we we've, we've probably always taken for granted. And then you start to see these things. And the Bible, Isaiah says, when you start to see these things kind of dwindle and diminish, that it could be it's a sign that the nation is under judgment. And along with that stuff being taken away, look what else gets taken away. The mighty man, the man of war. The people with these warring spirits that'll pray and that'll go after some devils and that'll fight. Uh, the man of war, the judge. And when you think of judge, I want you to think of Samson and Gideon and those guys rising up in the midst of, of near destruction and going out and taking their country back. The prophet The prudent, so the prophet, like the preachers, you know, so that there may be this watering down of the word. People will say whatever they need to say to fill their churches and to make everybody happy. There won't be any prophets like Isaiah talking like this, like Jeremiah saying, we are about to go under because of the way we are, and nobody wanted to hear it. Nobody. We're fine. We're God's people. You know, and, and that kind of stuff's going to be taken away. The prudent. There'll just be a lack of, of wisdom in general. And the ancient, which, which goes along with being prudent and being wise. Okay? And what's going to happen, uh, I skipped a couple of verses. Go to the next slide. And it says... When a man shall take hold of his brother, of the house of his father, okay? So they're going to know that the country's kind of in trouble. And somebody in this guy's house is going to say, you have clothing. There is something on you that we can tell is leadership quality. We want you to be our ruler, And let this ruin be under your hand. There's something on you and we want you to rule and we want you to take responsibility. If we ruined, let it be under you. You have what it takes to lead this ministry, to get us out of this. We see in you the possibility that you are a mighty man who can step up and really do some damage to the kingdom. So what do you think this man's response is? If somebody comes to him and says, you know what, there's something on you. You can lead. Go for it. Okay, next verse. In that day, he will swear, saying, I won't be a healer. For in my house is neither bread nor clothing. I don't know what you see on me, but I don't see it. I don't have what it takes. Please don't make me a ruler of the people. Don't make me... Step up. This is for somebody else. Okay? This is not for me. And when you see judgment come upon a nation, there's going to be people clothed in righteousness. I mean, Christians, people who have bowed at the foot of the cross and they're clothed with everything, equipped with everything they need to go and lead. But we say, no, I don't have what it takes. Don't make me a ruler of the people. Don't put that kind of responsibility on me. And so, fortunately, we have a great example of what it looks like to step up when nobody else will. Okay, So, next slide. Obviously, this is the, uh, the story of David and Goliath, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Never realized how long that chapter was until I was typing this in. I'm like, man, 1 Samuel 17 lasts forever. So I kind of chopped it up a little bit, uh, but not much, okay? So, if you think about it, Israel's got a lousy king, King Saul. He started out really good, but then he became worse and worse. And they're being oppressed, being oppressed by the Philistines. So the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Demim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. Okay, so your background, I shouldn't have to tell you too much about that. You got it. Let's keep going. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them, okay? Now, if there's one thing that I think is good as far as our country, I know everybody claims doom and gloom because of our presidential possibilities and all that, but I I feel like prophetically what's going to happen is something in our country, okay, whether good or bad, is going to force you to one side or the other. I believe right now we have a whole lot of people in the valley. Okay, And when it's convenient for me to be on God's side and at church, I'll walk over here a little bit and say I'm on your side. And when it's convenient for business, for my money, for my livelihood, all that, to be on the world's side, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to be on that side. So I believe we have a lot of people kind of hanging out in the valley. And in this verse it says, listen, the Philistines, those who opposed God were on one side, And God's people, the Israelites, were one the other. And there was a valley in between them, and you do not read about anybody hanging out in the valley. A champion named Goliath, a giant who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. Okay, So, man, this would make a really, really good movie if somebody could do it, right? He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, "...and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels." So if you're interested in that kind of conversion, I think a 1,000 shekels is about 25 pounds. You know, so there's about 125 pounds that he's just lugging around just on his armor. "...on his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back." His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, okay? Now, of course, I had to look that up. Basically, it's those big long rods, and they would put the threads like around it, and they would they would weave on it, you know? So to them, that must have been impressive. We're like, okay, what's a weaver's rod? Uh, but anyway, his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His uh, shield bearer went ahead of him, okay? So I think that comes out to about 13 pounds, somewhere around in there. So next slide, Goliath stood, I typed this in so far, sorry for the stud. okay, it was a lot, okay, give me a break, and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me, okay? If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Okay? So this is the big fight, the big setup. We all know this. Um, go to the next one. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Listen to this. On hearing the Philistines' word, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Okay? Here we go. They needed somebody to stand up. And it took this big old giant to come out and saying, Who's going to stand up? And all the Israelites and the king included were dismayed and terrified. So guess what they did? nothing okay next slide here's where I skip a little bit for 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and took his stand and did the same thing over and over and everybody sat around and did nothing okay because they were terrified next slide the Philistine champion from Gath stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. So this is the last time that he did it. David and David heard it. Okay? So this is the first time David hears it. Somebody else other than the people that have been listening to it for 40 days because probably because every the first time was shocking and then it just kind of got in their mind, got in their system that there's nothing they can do. They just kept hearing it and doing nothing. But this time David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. So this guy would come out, they would run, but this time, David heard it. Okay, next slide. When Eliab, okay, now, and now this is one of the main points, I want to be the reason I did this, okay, because remember, the giant is the fight, okay, that Goliath is the fight. Now Eliab, David's oldest brother heard him speaking with the men. Now, the only reason David's even here is because his dad said, Look, I'm going to pack them some lunch. I'm going to pack them a lot of food, some supplies. Because I imagine that they're out there battling it out. They're probably exhausted. So, David, I want you to go take this food to them and, and give it to them and make sure they're okay and bring me back a report. So David goes there, and he just sees this Philistine talking all the time, and nobody doing anything about it. So he starts asking people, you know, look, what's going to be done for the guy that actually does take this stand? And man, they're like, you get to marry the king's daughter. You know, your whole family will never have to pay taxes again. He sees that this is a fight worth fighting, okay? Now, when he sees that fight, I want you to notice that another fight comes to him that we'll see what he does with it. Because his older brother, he hears him speaking, talking about what's going to be done. And he burned with anger at him. Now, he's mad at his little brother. And he says, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I mean he talks down to him big time now. If David wanted to, he could have absolutely annihilated his brother. Now from the whole context of the story if he wanted to just kill his brother, he could have. But you know, nobody like really wants to kill their brother. You know, they just they just want to get at him real good. Now David could have said, "Why did I come down here to bring you guys food because I thought you might be tired?" from battle but all you're doing is standing around like a bunch of losers listening to that guy nobody will stand up he could have done that he could that's probably what i would have done because i kind of practiced the speech in my mind and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert so he's just attacking him like shepherd boy why don't you go back and do that and then maybe david could have said yeah i'll go do my job maybe i'm doing my job like you're doing your job Just standing around doing nothing. That's what I'm doing here. Could have totally annihilated his brother with words or physically. But go to the next one. And then his brother still, I know how conceited you are. And how wicked your heart is. Now why is is his older brother so mad at him? Well, because the prophet Samuel came one day and said, Guess what, Jesse? I'm going to anoint one of your children the next king. And if Eliab heard that at all... He knew how it all worked. Well, man, I'm the oldest. I'm probably going to get it just because of what the, where, when I was born. This is going to be great. It's probably me. And, and Jesse thought so little of his youngest son, David, that he didn't even bring him in the mix. So he lined them all up. And Samuel sitting there praying, Lord, is this the one? No. So Eliab was denied right there. So the second mother, oh, well, maybe it'll be me because I'm the second oldest. Went down the line of every single one of them. And Samuel knew. He said, it's none of these. He said, is this all your sons? Because I know, know that God sent me here and it's one of your sons. He said, well, I got one more out in the field. But all he does is hang out with the sheep and play his guitar and pray and sing to the Lord. That sounds like it's him then. That's who that's who it is. Bring him in here so we could we could anoint him and in front of his brother then here's Samuel anointing this ruddy looking shepherd boy a king. So of course his brothers mad at him, and of course he's attacking him right here. I know how conceited you are. You think you're so bad because you were anointed the next king. And I but I know how wicked your heart is. All you did, you wanted to come down here and watch the battle, to which once again David could have said, well, What battle? What battle? All you're doing is standing around about like a bunch of scared little whatever. I don't want to offend anybody, okay? So, next verse. Here's, here's David's response. Now, he could have done all that, which obviously I would have done because I did way too good of a job talking about what I would have done, okay? Now, what have I done? Okay, I've done nothing to you, Eliab, okay? I've done nothing, said David. Can I not even speak? I'm just asking questions. I'm just trying to figure out what this is all about and how we're going to defeat it, which is what you should be doing. Can I even speak? And look what he did. He then turned away. The Goliath fight, there's spoils in that. Man, there's no taxes in that. There's Mary and the king's daughters. There's royal. There's, there's royalty in this. But to fight you... Who cares if I beat you? That just looks to us like we're divided. That's me against my brother. And guys, you see all the church implications of this. You know, we're supposed to be fighting evil. But somebody gets in their mind that something's got to be done a certain way. So we a brother maybe says something and we get offended. And we get stuck right there and we fight that fight instead of... He turned away to someone else. This is not a fight worth getting bogged down in. I'm leaving this fight. I'm glad you're mad at me, and you can think all that stuff about me, but there's no spoils in that fight. I'm going to focus on the giant. Okay? Next slide. Now, when David actually went out to meet the Philistine. This is a speech that I hope everybody in here um, memorizes because, guys, when when you start to see evil, and evil will rise in just the smallest form. You know, I don't believe at this point that, that anything big or humongous could come and divide us and tear us apart. But the Song of Solomon says it's the little foxes that destroy the vineyard. Could there be some thought or some sort of attitude that could get spread in here and we get our mind off of the goal, off of the prize, off of the promised land, off of the enemy? So David says this speech, and any time you recognize that anything in your heart is not right, this is a great speech to memorize You come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He... We'll give all of you into our hands. What a speech. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. Notice how easy it was For him, with the God's power and with the equipment that he knew how to use very well to defeat the giant, it was nothing for him. It was easy. He wasn't afraid. He knew his skill set. He knew his job. and he, He knew his God and he was able to annihilate this giant. Next slide. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Okay, now go back, you you don't have to go back, but think about that Isaiah verse. You're clothed with something that we see that you have leadership quality. You could go out there and you could do something. Now the guy in Isaiah said, no, no, I'm not doing it. I don't want to be responsible. David, with just a sling and a stone, And the power of God. He was equipped with everything he needed to be a leader. Without a sword. Without the traditional way that everybody thought they were going to have to fight. Well, if I go out there and fight Goliath, I'm going to have to use a sword and a shield and a spear. And his are way bigger than mine. They extend even further than mine. I don't have a chance. But David said, I don't need to fight that way. I've got my own skill set. But he can't touch. I know what I can do. I know the power of my God. So without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. I mean, guys, that is just an amazing story. Notice that David always kept his mind on the right fight. He could have gotten bogged down and mad at his brother and just left and went home and told daddy. I didn't even leave him the food because, man, all he did was talk bad about me. I hope he gets killed by that old giant. I mean, how he could have handled it and the way he did shows us the way of the mighty. And you know, guys, we're talking about this Friday night with the leaders. We give the devil... Way too much power. Most of those people saw Goliath as this huge figure that nobody could defeat. And even as Christians, we start to see the devil as this opposite of God entity. That if he wanted to single us out, that he could annihilate us if he wanted to. Okay? But this is this is what most people think. Go with this. The opposite of God is. Nobody wants to say it, do they? Opposite of God, evil, or the devil. And that's not true. Okay? God uh, has no opposite. If, the, if Satan were his opposite, then he would have the power to create, and he does not, okay? He's under the subject of creation. If you want to think of Satan's ob- opposite, you think Michael, the archangel, okay? So he's he's way underneath. I'm not going to say he's the, he doesn't have any power. He's the prince of the power of the air. It says that. But we give him Way too much credit, okay? I have weapons that the world think are useless. I got the blood of Jesus that I received when I knelt at the foot of the cross and received Him. I'm clothed in righteousness, I'm wearing everything I need. To lead and to do what I need. Does it mean I'm never going to mess up? Absolutely not. It means when I do and I'm aware of it, I'm going to say I'm sorry. And God, will you forgive me? And will you cleanse me? And will you make me brand new? And will you let me start all over again? It does mean that. But it also means that through this power that I can take the neck of the devil at any time. And I can put him under my feet. Because... He, the opposite of the devil, is not God. At best, the opposite of the devil is Michael, the archangel, because they both had these roles in heaven that they had. So, you know, we, we must diminish how we see the giant. The giant, we need to see, as David saw, I could take him down. With God and my skill set, I got everything I need to take him down. Instead of, like everybody else, this giant's coming at me. What are we going to do? You know, there's nothing we can do. So, next slide. The men of Israel and Judah surged forward when one man... Clothed in righteousness used his skill set to go and defeat the giant. That was all it took to make everybody else no longer filled with fear but filled with courage and everybody surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and the gates of Akron. All it takes is one person to say. Not me, let somebody else do it, to not go there, but to say, I'll do it. I'll take responsibility. If it rises, it's on me. If it falls, it's on me. But I'm going to do this through the power of God. I'll do what I can do and leave the results up to him. It's all I can do. And that's what happened here. Okay? So, when one man slew the giant, the rest followed. And every time I preach this, um, I like to do the little giant acronym thing, because every time I do it, my letters turn into something different. So, I wanted to kind of look at the giants that paralyze, the giants that'll make you stand there and do nothing, okay? Okay. These are my giants. If if these aren't, maybe they apply to you, maybe they don't, but you can come up with some other um, words for your letters, okay? The G in mine is the giving of my time. When God, I felt, called me to pastor a church, and I talked to Tanya about it, my mind immediately went to when Caroline and Jameson are out of the house, I'm like, well, I probably got about ten years to prepare for this, and um, it turned out I had about what, maybe two months to prepare for this because Lifeline had called and man, they like, are you willing to step up and give your time to this? Because guys, I am a math teacher in the in the district. I am. A, a husband and I love to spend time I love to still date my wife and I still have two children that I want to spend time with and and accepting this kind of call it's going to take up more time can I, can I do it? that's the kind of thing that at first I thought about and could have said nope I can't I don't have time to give and that's one of the first excuses anybody gives when you're asked to step up to the plate and lead, okay? The giving, and I'm not asking you to, to sacrifice your children and your family on the altar of ministry, but I'm saying, is there something you can step up and give your time? Because I want my children to see me leaving to take care of God's business, I don't want them to see me with them all the time thinking that they're the most important thing in the world. I want them knowing that their mama is more important than them. And I want them knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ and His work is more important than them. Because He is. He's the greatest thing this life has to offer. And my life needs to reflect that. So the giving of my time, what a giant that we have to go overcome because the first thing we say, I don't have it. I don't have time. Look at the I. Insecurity. Okay, It's so easy for me to go here. God, you're asking me to be a pastor. I only have about 10 sermons. So what am I going to do in two and a half months when I'm out of sermons? You know, I don't. Can I really trust you to give me everything that I need weekend after week to lead this group? I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can do that and be an alternative school teacher to those kids who have never seen Jesus. I don't know if I can do that and be a, a husband to, to Tanya and, and love her and make her feel loved. And I don't know if I can do that and, and be a dad to, to Caroline and James. I just, I just don't know. I'm so insecure. Are you sure there's not somebody else? hey. Apathy, I'll go ahead and admit it, man, I'm a lazy kind of guy. I just, I mean, I kind of I shy away, you know, from, from like really going after it. You know, it just, you just get, go through these spells, and, and sometimes it's so easy to read the Bible and to, and to get into it, and sometimes it's, it's so hard And so when I do feel apathetic, one of the greatest things the Lord has done is, is, man, he's given me the best little walking loop around my house. It's about a mile, and I can just go, and I just walk it nice and slow, and I'm in nature, and I talk to him. It's like on those talks. He just re-equips me and He gives me the desire and the want to to study and to do all that I'm not. But it's so hard that I have to to overcome that that kind of laziness, you know. It's one of the reasons that I try to eat well and that I try to to work out because I don't want to leave my job and go home and crash on the couch and flip through channels. I want to have energy to do what I need To do, it's very, very important to me. But that's a giant that I have to come over. I just don't want to put the work into it. In. Neediness. Man, this was such an obstacle to me. at The first 15 years... Of my, of my Christianity, you know, especially when I started preaching. I needed somebody to tell me what a good job I was doing. I needed somebody to praise me. And guess what would happen if one person came and criticized me on any level That was all I could think about. Even in my marriage, Tanya could tell me a million things that I'm doing right and tell me one thing that she wished I'd do different. Man, that's what I would get focused on, man. And I'd put such a strain on our marriage because I was so stupid and and couldn't take anything. I was so needy and what a giant that I have to overcome. My objective, God, is to please you. I want to please you, do everything like I'm working for you, period. And if you are pleased, I am content. T, taking responsibility, man. I just don't want to be the one responsible. I don't want to be the one with the weight, carrying the whole weight, that if it all goes down, they point to you, the leader. I don't want that kind of responsibility, and it's easy to make that excuse. Will you come out and lead the youth? No, I can't. I don't want that kind of responsibility. Will you come out and, and take over You know, one of our children's ministry? No, I can't do that. I just don't want to be responsible. I'll help, but please, just don't make me responsible. Guys, I mean, now what a giant that I have to overcome. Do I want to be responsible for all this? like the guy that everybody points to if something goes wrong. Of course not. But what a giant that we have to overcome, that I have to come over, overcome. And then the S, finally, selfishness. I mean, I want what I want, like I want it. You know, kind of like if I can do this my way, I'll do it. And God says, no, you're not doing it your way. You're doing it my way. And can you go out there and can you do that? And some people are like, well, I'll do it. But if I, I better be the one in charge and I get to make all the shots and I better do it this way. And, and if that's the way it is, then cool. Okay? But if not, uh, I don't want it. What a giant that we have to overcome. This is my list. I don't know what's on your list. What are the giants that you have to overcome? Because everybody in here is clothed in righteousness. You, at one point, I would guarantee you, have knelt before the cross and said, Jesus, will you come into my life and will you forgive me? If you've done that, guess what? You're equipped. You're equipped. There's no giant that you can't defeat. So what ministry will you step up? Where will you rise up and take it on when nobody else will? Because if you will, some other people, everybody else sitting on the sideline will say, that guy could do it. I could do it. That woman could do it. I can do it. This is the way it works. One man steps up and slays the giant. And the rest will follow. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that this does not fall on deaf ears. Lord, there's some area in life, in business, in church, somewhere that we need to step up and rise and slay the giant. The giant of fear, apathy, selfishness, whatever it is, insecurity. And, and Lord, help us to fight that giant to step up and let other people, let our light so shine before men that other people, they see our good deeds and glorify you, our Father in heaven. Because everybody left this David and Goliath fighting thing. Man, there's no boy that can defeat our giant it must have been God on his life that helped him. And that's all we want, Lord. When we step up and you win the fight through us to reflect that credit, to give you all the glory and say, thank you, God, for using me. Use my life to be a light so that other people will see the way that I live unto you and want you to, not me and what I do. They want you. Lord, there is no one like you. And we thank you so much for being here today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.